The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell Christ our living head Will one day come again To judge the living and the dead I believe and trust in Him I will trust in my Redeemer Sing of His love that lasts forever Know His hope and sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world falls around me I rest and know that He has found me Christ the rock is my foundation I will trust in Him I will trust in Him Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album Order of Service By way of introduction, pastor is an acrostic which stands for preaching all salvation through one Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Iesus. The English transliteration for Iesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome again to Pastor Yeshua. As stated in an earlier episode discussing types and shadows, When we study all of Scripture, we tend to see that indeed God seems to create all things according to a pattern which testifies of Him. As we continue to look and study the visible and invisible things of creation, we are able to increasingly see God's reflection to some degree in that mirror. When these examples occur within Scripture, we characteristically refer to them as types or shadows. We shall also see that ultimately, as with all scripture, that these types and shadows point to the substance, which is Jesus. In the previous ten episodes, we took an in-depth examination of the various types, shadows, and the substance which were revealed by God through the book of Exodus, beginning with chapter 1 and continuing through chapter 32. In doing so, we saw how God used the historical saga of Israel's entrance, bondage, and eventual deliverance from Egypt by Moses, 
parallels and in fact foreshadows its substance depicting all God's people who have entered into the bondage of sin and are delivered from their sin through grace, by faith, in the finished work and imputed righteousness of Jesus. In the last episode, we concluded with God giving his Ten Commandments, as well as giving them the choice to follow him or to rebel. In Exodus chapter 33, God begins to discuss his plans with Moses in preparation to entering the promised land. At first, God appears reluctant to enter with Israel since Israel is stubborn and stiff-necked. Consequently, God is concerned that if he accompanies Israel, he will likely destroy them because of unbelief. Beginning in verse 7, Moses sets up the tabernacle of the congregation and starts to petition God. In verse 11, Moses assumes a very clear role of a mediator between God and his people Israel. Quote, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man departed not out of the tabernacle. Unquote. Verse 13 through 14 continues quote, Now therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. The original text adds the words quote, And see you. Unquote. And consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Unquote. In verse 11, Moses seems to have captured the sentiment of every true child of God. Moses prays to God not on the basis of works or of the keeping of the law, but on the basis of God's grace. Moses prays that if he has found grace in God's eyes, that God will show Moses God's way. The original Hebrew word translated quote-unquote way has the meaning of quote a path, a journey, direction, or a road unquote. It can, in some senses, mean, quote, manner, habit, or character, unquote. Given the words, quote, that I may know thee, unquote, which follow, perhaps the best word intended might be, quote, nature or character, unquote. Thus, if we were to paraphrase the first verse, what we might find would read, quote, if I have found grace in your eyes, reveal your nature, that I may know you, so that I will find grace in your eyes and see you, unquote. Now, if we were to diagram this sentence from a humanistic standpoint, it would make no sense. Either we have grace from someone, or we don't. We would not wonder if we have enough grace for someone to be our friend, realize that in fact we do not have enough for someone to be our friend, and then hope that having a friendship with that person would produce enough grace for them to be our friend. 
But this sentence does make sense when we remember that having a relationship with the living God produces not only transformation, but sanctification. God's grace is infinite and produces growth in the life of a believer who maintains a faith-centered relationship day by day by God's grace. Hence, we can say that it is God's grace which brings wretched sinners to repentance and reconciliation. Having justification, we now have fellowship with God who works in and through us to sanctify, mature, and conform us by that grace through the work of his indwelling Holy Spirit. Thus, this double use of the term grace in verse 13 speaks not of an event, but of a process found only in an abiding relationship with God through faith in Jesus. Finally, the addition of the words, quote, and see you, unquote, gives the crucial goal and the end result of the believer's surrendered relationship, which is to see him. If we were to place this Old Testament shadow into New Testament substance, we might turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, which says, quote, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, unquote. This again reminds us that the process of transformation, of sanctification, and of confirmation remains an ongoing process sustained by faith through grace until the great and glorious day, the substance Jesus appears, at which time, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 57, quote, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Unquote. In verse 14, God replies to Moses to assure him, saying, quote, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Unquote. The word translated, quote-unquote, presence, can also be translated, quote-unquote, face. More importantly, the original Hebrew word is a plural word, but always used in a singular sense. This seems contradictory until we realize that the face or presence we are talking about is God's. Keeping in mind that God is triune, the use of a plural word, translated in a singular tense, makes perfect sense. 
It is also of interest to note that the original Hebrew word face or presence has the figurative connotation of being from before, behind, formerly, or in front of, forward, ahead of, in a geographical or historical sense. In order to more succinctly understand what is being said and who is saying it, we might paraphrase verse 14 according to Jesus in Revelation chapter 1-8 as follows, quote, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty, unquote. As is always the case, whenever we, like Moses, approach God with the earnest desire to know him, to be surrendered to him, to submit to his will, leadership, and lordship, we wind up with God's response, which is to have his abiding presence, as well as his promise to give us rest. It is this place, which is the perfect center of God's will, that every child of God yearns for, where we find peace, joy, and comfort, and where we rest in the sure knowledge of our eternal security, while en route to our final destination, the promised land, i.e. heaven. In verse 18, Moses makes the following request, quote, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory, unquote. God responds in verses 18 through 23, saying, quote, And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou cannot see my face, and there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts but my face shall not be seen." Unquote. In verses 18 through 23, Moses and his discussion with God gives us what turns out to be a one-paragraph summary of justification. For those who are believers, our goal is to at long last reach the promised land, heaven. As we study God's word and look back from the overview of eternity presented therein, we must take pause to recognize the truth that when we arrive at our goal, we do so giving thanks eternally because the victory of the trip is only made possible due to God's goodness which has passed before us to secure that victory. Insofar as we or anyone else who is successful in this endeavor, the success begins, exists, and culminates due exclusively to God's mercy and grace. As always, we need to be ever mindful that the success we experience in this matter owes no thanks or gratitude to any imagined merits that we could ever produce. 
insofar as any man's works, merits, goodness, or deeds are concerned, the end result is that if we attempt to stand before God on the basis of these, then no man can see God's face and live. If we did, we would be instantly convicted by our complete lack and inability to measure up to the perfection, righteousness, and beauty which belong to God alone. At this point in the argument, all man is hopelessly lost left to his own devices. Fortunately, in this type, as in the substance, we segue to the good news. God declares, Behold, attention please, look, take hope, there is a place by me, and you will stand, more literally be stationed, be positioned, or be established upon a rock. Looking forward again, we may see that Jesus is our mediator according to Romans chapter 8 verse 34. Quote, Who is he that condemneth? Is it Christ that died? Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So it is not by works, merits, deeds, or any act or omission of acts which allows man to stand justified before God. It is only when and if any man be in Christ and Christ in him, that that man then is able to stand before God on the basis of Jesus' finished work. Jesus then sits at the right hand of God, making intercession as our great high priest, bringing our hearts, minds, and spirits sprinkled by his blood, which are acceptable and pleasing to God. The substantive truth that we are only able to see God in part due to Jesus' propitiatory atonement is foretold by the type in this case where God himself, by his grace, places Moses into the cleft of the rock. The reality could not be expressed more clearly. In order to see God, to experience his goodness and his glory, we must be in Christ the rock. When we are, it is God who then covers us with his hand so that we might live and not die. When we do see God, when we experience God, then we cannot help see his hand and all his goodness in and through the countless blessings he has given us. No man can say that he was there before God waiting, watching to see when God would get there. Instead, we can, by faith, stand in Christ and give thanks for all that he has done, as well as all that he is doing, even though we may not know where he is doing it, what he will do, or why he is doing it. Perhaps the single best way to summarize this verse comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, which says, Quote, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Unquote. 
Next, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 1, we find God instructing Moses to hew two tables of stone like the first two which were broken. As you will recall, the first two tables of stone containing the Ten Commandments were broken. In point of fact, the commandments themselves were broken by God's people prior to the tables of stone being delivered to them. You may further recall that this was a type of the clear teaching of all scripture that man is incapable of keeping God's law by his own power or abilities. Theologically speaking, we would say that the first set of tablets represent the Old Covenant, the law, which was intended to be a schoolmaster to teach man this very reality while setting the stage of hope for a better covenant where man could approach God and be accepted. Enter the second set of tablets containing the same Ten Commandments from God. But what in our story type is different? How will these laws be fulfilled where the former were broken? The answer comes in the fact that immediately preceding the second set being given, Moses has been placed in the cleft of the rock and covered by God's hand. So in this case, we find the theological substance that according to Acts chapter 13, verse 39, speaking of Jesus, quote, And by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses, unquote. This is to remind us that Jesus is the 100% fulfillment and embodiment of all God's law. You may ask, how does this episode where Moses brings the second set of tablets down from God's mountain demonstrate the substance of Jesus being the fulfillment of the law? The answer is found in 1 Kings chapter 8. In this chapter, Solomon begins preparations to dedicate the temple of the Lord. In doing so, he brings the Ark of the Covenant built by Moses earlier in order to place the Ark in the Holy of Holies. The priests open the Ark, and upon doing so, we find the following result in chapter 9. Quote, There was nothing in the Ark save the two tables of stone which Moses put there at Horeb, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel, when they came out of the land of Egypt, Consequently, what we see is that God's law, the Ten Commandments, was written on the second set of tablets and was placed inside the Ark of the Covenant, In its substance, we see that Jesus also stepped down from God's mountain, i.e. heaven, eternity, and took on the form of a man, even a servant. Jesus kept the entire law perfectly and pleased God by his righteousness, holiness, and love. Like God's tablets with the Ten Commandments, all of God's law, both in spirit and in truth, were and are kept intact inside Jesus, who is the substance of the Ark of the Covenant. It is Jesus and his finished work which constitute the second, better, and perfect covenant. 
Closing our study, we find Moses returning from Mount Sinai in verse 29. Because Moses had spent 40 days communing with God, seeing God's glory, hearing God's voice, Moses' face shone with the reflection of that glory which Moses beheld. In verse 30, all Israel saw Moses' face and beheld that glory. Because Israel did not yet have the relationship which Moses did, they likewise did not understand or comprehend the glory they beheld. Because their hearts were not right, and because as yet they had not been placed inside the cleft of the rock by grace, through faith, they were not covered by God's hand. Instead, the two tables containing the unbroken law were placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark was placed inside the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies, hidden to all but the high priest by a veil. There was no access to the Holy of Holies except once a year on the Day of Atonement. Even then, that access could only be made by the shedding of blood from a lamb. In verses 33-35, through 35, we read how it was necessary that Moses would have to put a veil upon his face as soon as he had finished speaking to God prior to speaking to Israel. Paul speaks about the substance of Moses' veil in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 when he begins to talk about those glorious things of God's word which had been done away with being eclipsed by the glory of those things which remain. Given this fact, Paul comments that on account of our great hope that we should use great plainness of speech, Paul then compares this proposed plainness to the events in Exodus, saying in verses 13 through 16, quote, And not as Moses which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away." Unquote. Looking back from this verse, God reveals through Paul the reality which has been at the forefront as a theme for this series of episodes. Namely, that God chose to use the historical narrative of his word to enfold types and shadows which would serve to point to the ultimate substance, Jesus the Christ, who would manifest himself in the flesh in the fullness of time. Moses saw this substance on the mount, and as a result, his countenance was changed forever just as every believer's nature is changed in and through a relationship by faith in Jesus. But the children of Israel were blinded by their own stubbornness. They were unable to look past the rudimentary types and shadows put before them. The substance Jesus was and remains an integral part of the entire Bible from cover to cover. Potentially, Every nuance of God's word remains an inspired diamond mind waiting, ready for those who would by faith to come and rediscover 
the inexhaustible riches which God has there implanted. Jesus himself said it this way in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Quote, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Jesus' birth, life, ministry, teachings, crucifixion, death, and resurrection fulfilled Scripture. Many, like Peter, were able to look at and listen to Jesus and recognize him as the Christ, the Son of the living God. Others saw Jesus and were still blinded by the same veil upon their hearts as that experienced by the Israelites beholding Moses' face. In pondering this veil, it occurs to me that the veil is not limited to the Israelite people then or now. Even today, people everywhere, most of whom are not Jewish, experience this veil without even knowing it. There are countless men and women throughout history who read the Bible and come away with only knowing the superficial elements of the ink upon the pages. They see colorful stories and historical sagas filled with triumph and tragedy, poetry and pith, and nothing beyond. Others see beyond the simple narrative to the substance at the end. The question arises... Why do those who fail to see, fail to see? In part, I believe the answer is found in returning to Exodus chapter 33, verses 13 and 14 discussed in this episode. Quote, Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, and that I may find grace in thy sight. The original text adds the words, quote, and see you, unquote. And consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence, unquote. So the first answer to the question is that Moses had a sincere, heartfelt desire to see and know God. The second answer is that Moses sincerely and genuinely prayed that God would show himself to Moses and that he would know God's way. If we were to examine the hearts and minds of those who fail to see the substance of God's word and to know who Jesus is, we would find, based upon scripture, that the elements of these two answers have not been met. The good news is that man can repent. We can become sincere and genuine. Man can earnestly desire to know God and to see his goodness. You and I can honestly and humbly pray to God and ask Him to reveal Himself to us. If and when we do, like Moses, God will place us by faith in the cleft of the rock, Jesus, cover us with His hand, 
and we will see all his glory in passing. This concludes this episode. Please join me again for part 12. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening.